Welcome to the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, hosted by veterinarians Dr. Lewis Kirkham and Dr. Robbie Anderton, who'll give you the inside scoop on the secret lives of your pets and have a lighthearted look at the latest animal news, health tips, and other random facts. All names of people and pets have been changed for confidentiality, so if the story sounds familiar, don't flatter yourself. Every owner is just as animal crazy as you are. So sit down, place your furry feathered or scaly best friend on your lap, and it's over to Lewis and Robbie. Welcome listeners to episode 108 of the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast. Where too much talking of pets is barely enough. I'm Dr. Lewis Kirkham and this week is a special non-social distancing episode of the podcast. Our very first such episode since we've gone into lockdown. How is this allowed, you may ask? Well, it is because this week... I'm joined by Laboratory Manager in Clinical Pathology at the UVet Animal Hospital, Deb Kirkham. Welcome, Deb. Thank you, Lewis. And of course, just so everyone knows, the reason we're (laughs) able to social distance or not social distance, shall we say, is because... We're on the same rotating team, aren't we? That's right. We are a team in more ways than one. That's very well said. So welcome to the show, Deb. Thank you. Thanks, audience. We've got, we actually got an audience in today, which is lovely. Oh, nice. how much are you paying the children? <laughs> yes. Well, if we hear any any of this, we'll know that's probably the children. That's a long, that's a long sound effect. That that's one. That's a long we'll, boo. We'll let that let that run through. <laughs> How's right. your week been, Lewis? Uh, not too bad. Busy. Work's been busy. Busy. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing particularly exciting been happening in my week. How about yourself? Oh, just very busy. I think we're we're very busy at UVet, and um, yeah, I think people are paying a lot of attention to their pets being at home in lockdown, aren't they? It certainly seems like that. And you're on um you're on a two team roster, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, we are um, rotating teams, and we've actually made a slight change to our team this week, yes. which has been good. And we're making a, another change to the team next week. Because we're so busy, I need to go in for an extra couple of hours. So a bit of a juggle with the homeschooling. But it's, uh, I guess it's a short-term measure in these unusual times. Yes, it's, it's, it's awkward. We're, we're both yeah, juggling everything, aren't we? We're homeschooling mm. with the kids and then me working, you working and, uh, and everything else that goes with, with life as well. Yes, and I think that's uh, something everyone's experiencing, isn't it? It's a new world order and um, trying to juggle everything and uh, it's certainly not the way we usually operate. So No, no and uh, it's, it's just, yeah, it's just different, isn't it? I mean, we're not, we're not necessarily complaining. It's just about adjusting and, and working with what we've got and, and uh, I think both of us being so busy at work is mm. the thing that's really probably the hardest for both of us at the moment. Yeah, it is difficult and the homeschooling adds a, another dimension to that. But, you know, little personal victory this week. I think I blitzed April's Year 6 French project, so <laughs> I better get an A. A, a plus, you reckon? Well, very good. <laughs> That definitely deserves a think. Delved into the dark recesses of my brain for some of that uh, vocab and conjugation of verbs. I um, I don't think that's year six level, so. Mm. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> that, that's really good. And, uh, and uh, look, it's not something I normally would bring up uh, on the podcast, but uh, how's things in the, in the, in the uh, pantry going at the moment? <laughs> well, it's a bit unfortunate, you know, being in lockdown – and spending a lot of time at home and you know the kitchen is the heart of the home and most people would relate to that and we unfortunately have some <laughs> something that has died under our house in the pantry region <laughs> and um, you know people are entering the kitchen and gagging and oh, it's terrible oh, it's terrible isn't it so i think yeah, i think it's probably a rat or a mouse that's died in the, either in the wall or in the oh. in the under the floor somewhere we just can't get access to no. it can we but it's slowly going away. Slowly so, going away. So, and, and I mean, I must admit, I have a very high tolerance to that sort of thing. I've worked next to a post-mortem room for <laughs> decades. So if I think it stinks, it stinks. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, further updates on, on family stuff. is, yes. is I had a, quite a few emails during the week just asking how Wally 
He's going. So Wally last week um, had a bit of an incident when we were recording the podcast with Robbie. Um, who, oh, sorry, I should say Robbie can't be here today. Um, he's busy shoveling gravel, I believe, in his renovation. And I think the gravel chuck got bogged. So he's trying to dig that out. Um, and also I think he's working and he's moving house. And so that's why um, we're very... Uh, very grateful for you for filling in today. Oh, not a problem. And, uh, yeah, Robbie's uh, doing a lot of heavy lifting at the moment, so uh, he needs a chop out today. I think so. There's a lot of this going on, I reckon, <laughs> at Robbie's house, so we'll we'll leave him to do that. But, yeah, uh, talking about Wally, who's my brother's dog, those haven't listened to last week's episode, um, got a bit unwell and actually I got phone calls during the episode um, where I actually had a little bit of feedback on those phone calls, people wondering if I'd actually meant to leave them in. Whereas uh, you've listened to the episode, but some of you may not have. It's just basically me on the phone going, yes, okay, thanks, uh-huh, uh-huh. So first one, I think I talked to my brother and then the vet, it gets to the vet, emergency vet, and the vet rings me. And um, and I did have actually the other end of the conversation recorded as well, but I didn't have permission from the other people to put those bits in. So I thought, I, yeah, I know. So I thought I'd leave those alone and not put them in, and I didn't have a chance to, to get onto the people to, to get permission. But but I did mean to leave those conversations in. And I think I just wanted to highlight just a, a little bit about just behind the third wall, third curtain, I think Robbie says, third wall, curtain. Probably the curtain. Behind the wall. Is it the wall? I think it's the wall. Robbie likes curtain. Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, behind the wall curtain. And um and just let you know that's that's basically what we do (laughs) how we deal with a vet, isn't it? We can get a phone call at any time from anybody with any question needing some help. Um and that's kind of where it goes and that that's your couple of hours gone when you're you're helping other people just at, at any time of the day or night. And you know, being a, a vet and people knowing that you're a vet means you have a lot of people uh, relying on your services or your advice at uh, the most unexpected times. We've had dogs with broken, bleeding tails on our kitchen table. Oh, yes. We've had many birds delivered in shoeboxes. Um, Possums, and we possums. people bring possums to us, and their pets when they're unwell, and, and pets that have ingested too many hash cookies. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, our neighbours, yes, yes. So not not, not, not ours. Anymore. Not <laughs> no, ours. No, no, <laughs> no neighbours. No, not that we got rid of them because they were ingesting no, hash no, cookies. No, no, no. But uh, yes, your life is constantly interrupted with demands for your professional services. But I'm like I've got someone who's on the same level as me is able to do some of the diagnoses when I'm not actually home and help yes, people. Yes. Yes, I did sort out that uh, drug tos- toxicity. Yes, that's right. You're the <laughs> one who diagnosed access it. access to drugs or medication? <laughs> yes, we do see a lot of that at UVet. So, yes, lots of experience. You exactly what you're doing. <laughs> so, so thanks, everyone, for, for the emails you've sent, but also emails about inquiring about Wally's health. And Wally is doing fine. He's all okay. He got discharged from ER from emergency on uh, – he went in on Sunday, got discharged on Monday – uh, I took some blood tests on the Tuesday and he is improving. We'll talk a bit more about um, sort of his issue. I think he was, you know, we, we're starting to think he had some anaphylaxis and was bitten by a bee. So that might be a main topic uh, today that, that we'll get onto. So thank you very much for your inquiries about his health. He is doing well and and all fine. Um, also, a big thank you to uh, Zilkeen, who's a su- big supporter of the podcast, a mild anxiety-lowering supplement uh, that you can give to your your dog or your cat. Um, and it might be a good time. Some of the states around Melbourne are starting to get get out of uh, sorry states around Australia mm-hmm. um, are starting to come out of sort of lockdown or you know or um, social distancing a little bit easing up. Certainly, Victoria is not, which is where we are. Um, but if you're finding, you know, it's, it's a time where you might be going back to work, perfect time to start your dog or cat on some Zilkeen with their anxieties. Mm. Um, and also a big thank you to Delicate Care, uh, the dog and cat foods, Australian made, Australian owned. Um, they've got lots of different diets, fantastic diets for skin and stomach for, for your dogs and your cats. They've got skin and stomach for both of them. Um, Olive certainly loves her dental food, which is coming. I'm not sure if that's out yet, but it's on its way. 
Um, her teeth actually looking the best they've looked for a while. I normally clean them under and seat once a year, don't I? Well, we've yeah. pushed it out a little bit. Not possible at the moment. Well, no, not the moment, but we've also pushed out because her teeth are looking pretty mm. good. I'm pretty happy with them. So, fantastic. Thanks very, thanks very much, guys, for your support. And also this week we've got a new Patreon supporter. We've got Suzanne W. Baker. Um, so thank you very much, Suzanne. For Where's the clapping? Oh, clapping. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Suzanne. Really appreciate your support. I believe, I think you're in America. I was trying to find, I think it's Avenue Dog Grooming in America. I'm not sure. Maybe she wants to send us an email a little bit more about her business. But um, you're. I think you're a gold, very important pet owner as per the Patreon tiers. So thank you very much um, for your support. And, uh, and there'll be a sticker on your way. Um, but knowing how the postage is from... <laughs> From Australia to America, the postage is terrible at the moment. You should have that by probably by oh, Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> Christmas. Thanks, I, Suzanne. I, I reckon so. Um, so um, hopefully it'll be on your way soon. So big thank you to Suzanne there. Thank you very much. Um, now this week, I we haven't got Robbie here, so I guess I'll take charge of all the news stories that we've got. I guess the main one, I think we mentioned it last week, um, was that there uh, a pug, another dog, was diagnosed um, with coronavirus or COVID-19. Um, and this dog was actually the first dog in America to be okay. diagnosed with it um, in North Carolina. It's the first case of, of a dog actually being diagnosed, um, um, diagnosed in America or outside of Hong Kong, essentially, where the last two, two were diagnosed. Um, so in the household... Uh, the mother, father and son also tested positive, while the daughter, another dog and a cat all tested negative. And interestingly, the family's pet lizard was not tested. Mm. I, th- I worry it's a bit discriminatory, don't you think, that they've, they've gone for the mammalians and just, no, nah, no, we'll let the lizard go, you know. I guess it depends on the size of the lizard, doesn't it? Ooh, how as to getting a, getting a swab get in there. Swap? Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, if it's a, like a tiny little skink, you'd have trouble getting a little sample in the nose, wouldn't you? <laughs> That'd yeah. be uh, kill the lizard taking the swab. <laughs> yes, that's, no, that's not ideal. Maybe it's pretty feisty and they couldn't get near it. Like a Komodo a dragon or oh. something. I don't know what well, sort of yeah, lizards people just, keep. You could take a swab of that. Jeez, you'd yeah. need, need it'd, the late Steve Irwin to tackle that one down, I reckon. It'd, it'd take more than a swab from you. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly. <laughs> uh, the pug was exhibiting mild symptoms for a few days, according to the mother. Um, there was one day when he didn't want to eat his breakfast. Now, if there's anything we know about pugs, that's a definite indication of a problem because pugs love their food, don't they? Yes. Absolutely love their food. <laughs> they just love their food. So he was on well for a day. But I, I guess the thing to, you know, that we really we reiterate every time on the podcast when we talk about another animal that's been detected with you know covid you know um, SARS-CoV-2 or covid-19 is is we need to keep it really in perspective i mean the world uh, who world or the world organization for animal health which i think is a branch of who um, you know they continue to state there's no evidence that companion animals play a significant role in spreading the disease um, and if we look at, you know, again, the factors, you know, if we sort of add them up, we've had sort of eight tigers, three cats, three dogs. And no, just we were talking before, wasn't it? How many people was it? I think, uh, what's the date today? Third of May, we've got 3.2. First of May. Yeah. Second of May, sorry. Second of May. Today. Second of May. I think it is, It says it? the third of the May on your running uh, sheet. Oh, here. that might be when I actually get the episode out. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not Whoops. when we record it. No, okay. Today's the second of May. Okay. It's about yeah. 3.2 million. 3.2 million people worldwide have been diagnosed as COVID-19 positive. Right. And so that's about, and we've got about 14 sort of pets, I suppose, if you include tigers as a pet, I guess. Yes. Tigers from the zoo. So the Bronx Zoo, that was. So just to keep in perspective, there is much... There's a massive higher risk of catching COVID from contact with humans. You're more likely to get it going to your supermarket than patting your dog or cat in your mm. household. So do not get rid of your dog or cat. Um, if you are unwell, you know, it's probably good hygiene to mm. perhaps, if you can separate yourself from your pet, um, make sure you wash your hands after patting your pet. All the normal things that we do, wash your hands before eating. Um, but please don't get rid of don't get rid of your pet because you're worried about catching COVID. Um, you know, 
stay home because mm-hmm. that's your biggest probably biggest worries is meeting other people, getting near other people. Where you're going to catch it from? Yes. Um, so, so further to that, in saying that, yep, it's only been cats and dogs and uh, and uh, and tigers that have caught it. Um, I've actually found another reason to get rid of all your mint co- mink coats, Deb. Your fur mink coats that you've got in the <laughs> cupboard there. I don't have one. <laughs> no, of course, of course, you don't have one because we don't believe in that sort of thing. But, but this is out of this is out of Reuters in Amsterdam. Two mink farms in the Netherlands have been in, put into quarantine after animals were found to be infected with the new coronavirus. So Fascinating. Mink, yeah, so mink, for those who don't know, I mean, they, they used to be, well, I guess they still are, it seems, in the Netherlands, used for fur coats in the olden days, making fur coats, used the pelts, hmm. which... Um, they still do that. Well, it's interesting that there is a comment at the end of the article that says... Uh, the mink are bred for fur, which is sold in China, Korea, Greece, and Turkey. Okay. No surprise, China buys everything. After pressure from animal after pressure from animal rights activists, the Dutch government banned new mink farms in 2013 and said existing ones would have to close by 2024. So they've got four years to get rid of all their mink. Oh dear. And then they're on something else. But yeah, it's a horrible, horrible thing. But anyway, we'll get back to the story. So mink, I think they're fairly similar to ferrets in some way. Mm. Similar like the mink, which were tested after showing signs of having trouble breathing, were believed to have been infected by employees who had the virus. Mm, Gosh. Um, The possibility that they could further spread virus to humans and other animals on the farm was minimal. The Dutch ministry said, citing advice from national health authorities. However, movement of the ferret-like animals, oh, there we go, and their manure was banned. And the ministry said it was studying the outbreak carefully, including the testing of air and soil. What do they do with mink manure? I question the use of the word manure. (laughs) Manure. It's sort of a large animal kind of descriptor. Maybe they are really big minks. Because coats are quite big. <laughs> How big's your mink? Mink manure. <laughs> you need a lot of it to fertilise your garden, wouldn't you? Like you know, you'd have to probably might do a little bonsai plant your mink manure, but it's not going to do your full garden, is it? I'd giggle the size of mink scat if I could stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> people were advised not to travel within 400 metres of the farms. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Maybe they are big, big poos. They're ginormous. They're big manure. They're <laughs> little animals with big, big scats. <laughs> the t- 400 metres isn't very far, Oh, you though. don't think that's very far? Well, I'm just trying to think of what does a... I mean, a mink farm, surely, somewhere a bit out of suburbia, isn't it? I don't know. That's a good point. What does a mink farm look like? <laughs> How many minks have they got in there? <laughs> does it look like a... Like a, like a, a night, cattery. nightclub. <laughs> cattery. Full of minxes. <laughs> like Maybe it is like cattery. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. All in cages. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm not thinking they they're free... free ra- I'm not thinking they're free range. They I mean, might what? be. They just run around making burrows everywhere. Oh, okay. If they're ferret-like... I don't yeah. really know what a mink. What does a mink do? Ooh, I don't know. Should have looked a this coat. up. I should <laughs> have looked pelt, I, I should have looked this up. They make a lot of manure. But if they're making coats, do they not want the mangy free range coat, or do they want the indoor oh, grain fed, puffed up kind? Yes. Of, they don't want them rolled in their manure. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they have to move the manure around because they don't want to roll your coat in the manure. That doesn't, that's not nice. That's not nice. Anyway. <laughs> the towns where the, where the farms are located, Gjomtbakel and Labirch, are both in the southern Nord-Brabant province of the Netherlands, which has seen the country's worst coronavirus outbreak. Well, I, I don't think they should be, I think those farms should be shut down. I just can't believe that. Anyway. So there you go. So if you've got any mix at home, Careful of them getting coronavirus, potentially. So we've got... Um, well, I guess if they're similar to ferrets, I know we're seeing ferrets 
are we allowed to talk about this? <laughs> ferrets. We can well, talk ferrets. about ferrets. No, but aren't well, hang ferrets. On, hang on, we'll talk about... Oh, that was meant to be a beep. That's the wrong beep. Yeah, go on. Uh, aren't ferrets being used as a an animal model for yes. vaccine testing? Yes, they are. Yeah, so yes. perhaps um, they're expressing clinical... Yeah, well, I was, yeah, I was expecting a similar, the, similar yeah. family or, or, um, or something like that, that they're showing similar lung pathology ferrets are. Yes. And that's why they can use them as a model for vaccinations, yes. you know, preparing vaccines for, for, for humans. <laughs> so there's a mink coat. Is there the sort of bogan ferret <laughs> coat? Which would stink. <laughs> You'd be wanting it to roll in the manure to take away the ferret smell. Maybe it's a dead ferret we got in the pantry. (laughs) (laughs) Because it sticks like that. Oh, dear. Oh, but fair. Have you ever you smelled a ferret? Obviously, have you? Oh my gosh, they they reek. stink. We often get them, in, or not often, but sometimes people bring them in to um to remove their scent glands. Mm. And I don't know how you do. I've never done that, but I think that's something you can do. But but that's interesting. Someone rang during the week, rang up about wanting us to remove the scent gland in their rabbit. Oh, and I was like, I don't know if rabbits had scent. I knew they got had scent glands, but I didn't know they had. Like in dogs, we remove their anal glands and rarely in cats. And then ferrets remove their scent glands. But I think rabbits are just under their chin they've, and on the back of their tail. They've got these. And I was like, and they've come in and we're busy as anything. And the poor <laughs> nurse has got me an, oh. an inopportune time going, can you remove the scent gland on a rabbit? And I think my... my um, my absolute. My absolute. I'd be asking, have you cleaned out the hutch, mate? Well, it's like you just don't you just wipe it. <laughs> just, just wipe it down. Some husbandry'd be good <laughs> exactly. before you go the elective surgery option. Exactly, it's very very weird question. So so um so there you go, and um the I guess moving on from the minxes. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a really topical thing, and certainly in, in human stuff, is the new medication that's on that's on the well. President Trump's been talking about it, I think, and uh, um, and the, the, uh, the I think they're using it to treat people in America. Yeah, I think it's been um, uh, the US FDA has uh, sped up the process of approval, allowing being used, and that's that's the medication um, Rendesivir. Isn't it? That's big big in the news. And the interesting, there is a really big link with remdesivir and uh, with cats. Yes. Um, And uh, for those of you who don't know, um, cats can get infected with their very own type of coronavirus. So this is totally separate to SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 that humans are the pandemic worldwide. It's been around for a long time in cats. Um, It's not contagious to humans or any other mammal at all, only to cats. And the thing with coronavirus, this coronavirus in cats is it causes, you know, it can cause various symptoms, but it's usually abdominal symptoms, sometimes neurological symptoms. It's not generally respiratory problems that we no. see. Lots of cats get infected with the coronavirus, but only a very few cats actually develop a disease which is called feline infectious peritonitis or FIP. And I don't want to go into the FIP disease no. too much. You know, that's not really what I'm about, you know, talking about today. If you want more info on feline infectious peritonitis, go to episode sixty-one, um, where we did a whole podcast on 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 FIP, and you can you can uh, learn more there. I think it's it's perhaps just interesting to note if you've heard them talk about COVID nineteen as a novel coronavirus or new coronavirus, that's because there are lots and lots of coronaviruses around, and there are some that uh, pertain to dogs and pertain to cats, and where well used to talking about them in dogs and cats but they're completely different and um the one that causes um fip is um is the one that um you're talking about yeah exactly <clears throat> and ferrets get a coronavirus too i learned about as well doing oh. a bit of research so there you go mm. and there's there's another segue back into talking about ferrets um <laughs> Essentially, I guess the worst part about FIP is that it's usually fatal, unfortunately, in cats. Um, and we don't, as veterinarians, currently have any licensed treatment for feline infectious peritonitis. 
in saying that, there's recently in the last sort of 18 months or so some medications that have come out of China yes. um, that have started being used to treat feline infectious peritonitis. It's not licensed. It's not registered. It's, it hasn't really been proven in, in proper trials yet, but seems to anecdotally in a lots of um, vets around the world are having good results with it. It's only available in Australia on the black market, and I think that's from China. And I'd, and really, vets aren't allowed to prescribe it, recommend it, or even help assist, you know, sort of deliver it, or that sort of thing. Now, that one of those medications, there are a few of them, but there's one that is called GS441524. Um, and the interesting thing uh, that, um, that that GS441524 is a biologically active component of remdesivir. Okay. Um, so this is a, uh, which has obviously been in the news a lot lately, this is a, a, a letter that was, open letters written by Niels Pedersen, DVR veterinarian and a PhD at the School of Veterinary Medicine at University of uh, California, Davis. Oh. With some of... Hello to my colleagues there in uh, La Jolla. Right. And, um, and it's also, if you want to have a look, it's on a website, uh, www.socfip.org. Org, so SOCKFIP.org. Anyway, basically, uh, this Niels is saying, and I'll start reading the letter. Um, uh, GS441524 is the biologically active component of remdesivir and has been widely used around the world to safely and effectively cure cats of feline infectious peritonitis, FIP, for over 18 months. Now, I'm not sure about the safe and effective. That's his words. I don't know about that. I don't know about the studies. FIP is a common and highly fatal coronavirus disease of cats. GS441424 and remdesivir are almost identical drugs. Remdesivir is the form of GS441424 that Gilead Sciences, so that's the company that's producing remdesivir, has chosen to use in humans for COVID-19 and is now in clinical trials in China, USA and several other countries. Remdesivir is what is known as a prodrug. A prodrug is altered by infected cells to yield the active ingredient, which is which in this case is basically GS four four one four one five two four. So it's slightly different with the addition mm. of one phosphate group. So it gets a little bit complicated. His, his article, but I'll I'll move on because we you know we haven't got a lot of time. Um, so I guess he um, you know he's saying we chose to use GS. Four four. Sorry, I might have been saying the wrong number. I think GS four four one. I don't think the listeners will care. Yeah, that's true. Yes, there's somewhere <laughs> there's a typo in there, and they've uh, anyway the GS one that that we're using cats. Uh, he chose to use it for for coronavirus disease because identical antiviral properties to remdesivir, and at the time was not under consideration by Gilead Sciences for use in humans. Um, and also it's a lot cheaper than remdesivir. So I guess really the important thing, and there's a lot more I can read about it, but is that it's interesting that a medication that was in experimental use for cat coronavirus is potential or seems to be able to shorten the length of the disease of, of human coronavirus or human COVID. Oh, well, that would be wonderful if that was a promising option. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So, um, you know, and... Uh, and I guess um, you know the thing is it is it is coming out of China as well the medication and uh, Dr. Peterson also has a bit of a concern that if remdesivir is going to be used a lot doesn't mean that the GS is no longer going to be available for, to treat FIP in cats and I suppose that's a, mm. that's a relevant thing but also if, if remdesivir becomes legal legalized in uh, in humans then the potential is it will become legally available to vets as well in the future I guess you know in in the when we you know, get a vaccine or what, however yes. we get over COVID-19 as a, as a human population. So interesting really, really link there. And I think the other interesting link I find about it is that FIPs, it's thought to develop because coronavirus causes an overstimulation of the immune system. Yes. And I think that may be some of the stuff they're finding out with COVID-19. So it had, mm. perhaps has similar sort of properties and responses and that sort of thing. So it'd be interesting to watch this space, I yes. reckon. Yes, that and, would and, be good. And see where we end up. Alrighty, uh, all advice on this show is general in nature, so please consult your veterinarian before following any advice for your pet. 
We do our best to provide the most up-to-date information, but as veterinary medicine is continually advancing and changing, please let us know if we have missed anything. Now, I think it might be a perfect time to, to take a short break. What do you reckon? Sure. All right. So we'll take a short break, and after the break, we'll come back and we'll have a chat about Wally and, uh, and insect bites and anaphylaxis. Good. As vets, we know it can be difficult having conversations around the cost of treatment. Well, now there is a pet insurance product that can help reduce those upfront costs. It's called Gap Only, and eligible owners can claim on the spot and only pay the gap. This is only available at participating vet clinics with eligible pet insurance partners. Check to see if your vet or pet insurer is Gap Only enabled at gaponly.com.au. T's and C's apply. Visit gaponly.com.au for more information. Alrighty, guys, and we're back. And during that short break, I've just been uh, just been writing up a few notes uh, just on just on the topic of of Wally, <laughs> our. Um, uh, would Wally be my? What would Wally be? Canine nephew. Canine nephew. I like that. Yes, my <laughs> canine nephew Wally, who uh, last week on the show, um, while we were recording the show, got got bitten by a bee. Or we think a bee for potentially the second time in uh, probably three weeks or so. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I didn't realise the bites were so close together. Yeah. So we yeah the first one. Uh, uh, my brother got out. The sting out himself using a sort of credit card to kind of swipe under it and get it out. I think. Yeah, was it? Uh, I think it was in his lip, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. and then he's he's bitten again um, last weekend and ended up in in emergency medicine. So I've spent most of the well, not most of the week, but some of the week just doing a little bit of research on anaphylaxis and that sort of thing because it's not something that I commonly see in a GP practice. We usually see we do see bee and insect stings and wasp stings quite regularly but not that severe where they need sort of hospitalisation and they become really unwell, like an anaphylactic-type response. No. So this was... um, So I got a, had a lot of support from your boss, yes. Professor Nat, Natalie Cortman. Yes. Um, down at UVET, who... Um, specialist pathologist um, who you work alongside with. So big thank you to Nat for your help and assistance um, with giving me some information on... On anaphylaxis, and I thought we'd talk a little bit about today. Sure, you know, um, animals getting bitten by bee stings, and and uh, and it's a study that she sent, which uh, which I was going to get Robbie to translate. Oh, I don't know that I'll put you on the spot, but it's a quite a quite a, a lengthy title. It's, it's evaluation, sorry, elevation of alanine transaminase and gallbladder wall abnormalities as biomarkers of anaphylaxis in canine hypersensitivity patients oh so that just means the things that we look at when you suspect an animal has anaphylaxis or an allergic reaction so very good excellent so the first one's a liver enzyme yes alanine transaminase we call that alt yes and then you're looking at the gallbladder and the ultrasound uh, the changes you've seen on, on ultrasound yeah, excellent. So I guess this this article is a really good summary of what happens when a pet, you know, does get bitten by um by an insect or or as they described a hymeno hymenoptera. Okay. You know what hymenoptera is? Oh. Just testing you there. Bug, insect. Yeah, bee, wasp, or an ant, mm. um, or or medication or a vaccine. So we do sometimes see allergic or um, yeah. anaphylactic responses when we give vaccines as well. So so just put it in a simple way that, again, I was going to get Robbie to translate. <laughs> anaphylactic reactions are immunoglobulin E-mediated type 1 immediate hypersensitivity reactions. Yes. Well, yes. IgE is your first line of defence. Yeah, it's just, part, just the immune yeah. system really just has a really weird response to it. It's, it's mm. a simple way of putting it. Um, and um, And... I guess they say, you know, anaphylaxis has a lot – technically it has lots of different meanings. Like they could talk about an anaphylactic or an anaphylactoid reaction. Mm. They're all terming them as, as anaphylaxis all in one. So um, 
I guess it is a bit complicated as to what happened, but essentially um, in there are cells in all dogs, cats, and humans. Um, so we have anaphylactic reactions as well and allergic reactions. And we all have these cells in our bodies called mast cells. Mm. And essentially when the body uh, encounters something that they're highly allergic to, it could be as simple as something uh, in humans, peanut butter or peanuts um, or grass, um, you know, like a hay fever sort of thing, mm-hmm. then the mast cells release histamine mm. is the main one. They do release a whole lot of other things. There's a massive cascade that goes on, but we won't go into that too much because um, that will just bore everybody silly. That's my sound That's effect. perfect. I was yeah. looking for a snoring. That's, I just did it. We have to record that one. <laughs> <laughs> we use it another time. <laughs> Um, and, of course, uh, histamine, when it's released, causes a lot of other effects. Um, now, in dogs in particular, um, the, uh, the this clinical signs we see are related to where the largest population of mast cells are. Um, so, in dogs, these tend to be in the in the gastrointestinal tract, mm-hmm. um, but also in the in the liver. Mm-hmm. So, when we see anaphylaxis, that we, that's where we see most most of the problems that come about. So. Uh, in the in the human medicine, they talk a lot about a continuum of allergic reactions, where it starts with, um, depending on s- severity of clinical signs, so it starts with something like an acute allergic reaction, where you just get localized swelling and itchiness. Mm-hmm. So maybe think like maybe a mozzie bite, yes, or something like that, um, and that that goes through to a mild um, systemic hypersensitive reaction. So you get some. Uh, some changes in your body as well, all over your body. So you might get a fever perhaps from that reaction as well as itching all over your body yep. mm-hmm. or a all-body skin reaction. They talk about a moderate systemic hypersensitivity reaction, which actually involves two or more organs, they say. Mm-hmm. Sometimes get an, in, uh, an increase in, in blood pressure. Um, there's no um, sort of neurological, there's no collapse with that. And then you can have s- severe systemic hypersensitive reactions, which are, I guess are tend to be more on the end of the anaphylaxis ones, um, where you know involves many organs, the animal will collapse suddenly, mm-hmm. they'll have low blood pressure um, and, and quite a severe reaction from it. And, and signs we see, um, you know, are typically uh, in humans, I guess, the main ones we see are wheezing, um, respiratory signs, vomiting, diarrhea, nausea, tummy pain, low blood pressure, um, or collapsing, mm. incontinence, those sorts of things. We do see a lot of those in um, in, in dogs as well, um, and also in cats too. Um, and often there's a, a, a history of um, had an exposure to something they're allergic to. So yes. maybe, you know, as in Wally, but you know, bitten a couple of weeks ago mm. to a bee. Um, but you know, maybe they've just had a vaccination or something like that. Mm-hmm. Which is, we see it rarely, but but it does happen, I suppose. Yes. Um, and it's really considered a clinical diagnosis. You generally look at the animal and you're able to assess it. It seems like it's been bit by a deer, not a bee or or something like that. Less so, we rely on laboratory tests. Yes. Which is what this article is about. That looking at the one of the liver enzymes potentially mm. could help us. Um, so, so essentially that's what the study did find, that you could look at the liver enzymes and do an ultrasound of the gallbladder and that can give you an idea of whether or not um, the dog has been, you know, um, had an anaphylactic re- response or been bitten by a bee. And that's certainly what they found with Wally, that he had some gallbladder changes um, and, uh, and, uh, and also some elevation in that ALT liver enzyme yes. that, that you mentioned. The interesting thing is, is when we think of anaphylaxis in humans... We always sort of think about your throat closing yes. over, and yes. that's that's because in humans, one of the main areas we see the problem is in the respiratory tract. We, yes, you know, we get wheezing, um, we have trouble breathing, and that's why we often have an epipen, which has got adrenaline in it, which helps open the throat enough that um, allows us to breathe enough so we can get hospital and yeah. get get sort of sort of further attention. In dogs, it doesn't affect the respiratory tract; it mm. affects the gastrointestinal tract. And the liver, so we don't see the wheezing and the closing over the throat. It's pretty uncommon to see that in, that in pets, and that's a really important thing to notice. That if your pet has been bitten by, you think bitten by an insect or a bee, and you're concerned about them going to anaphylaxis, 
it's actually not the breathing so much no. that you need to be worried about. It's looking at things like did the dog collapse? Yes. Um, do they seem unwell? Have they gone incontinent? Have they let go? Of the, you know, they got diarrhea. Yes. Um, Which Wally did, didn't yeah, he? Exactly. Wally just stopped and, and stopped and collapsed and had some diarrhea. Yes. Um, incontinently diarrhea um, and and then was just really wasn't himself rubbing and pouring his face yes so most likely got bitten around the face as well so so it's important to look out for those sorts of signs <clears throat> and if your your dog um, has a history of being bitten previously mm. perhaps they're more at risk the second time potentially because the immune system's been primed um, and, and and you know um, and it can be important to get to an emergency center quite quite sort of quickly um, um, and they sort of yeah, talk about how um, anaphylaxis is an emergency, a medical emergency thing. They need treatment with fluids, oxygen, um, antihistamines, mm-hmm. cortisone injections, all things that, that we do use. If it's a, um, if it's a, uh, a very mild case, we'll just give a couple of injections at the clinic. We might put a, a dog into, out into the hospital and monitor them for a couple of hours, just check their blood pressure listen to their heart, make sure they seem okay, and then uh, and then when they seem okay and swelling's gone down, then we'll let them go home. That's the most common thing that, w- that we do tend to do. Um, and the interesting thing is uh, when Wally was bitten, I thought, oh, gosh, he's now sensitive to, to bee stings. If he's been bitten twice in a month, mm. there's a fair chance I suppose he's going to be bitten again. You know, sure. Is he a candidate for an EpiPen? Yes. So EpiPen, in Australia, we know what they are. I assume they're similar overseas. I don't really know. But an EpiPen is essentially adrenaline mm-hmm. um, in a format that uh, humans give to other humans or can give to themselves, yes. give them a, a intra, into the muscle dose mm. of adrenaline to help with if, they've, if they're anaphylactic to something or allergic to something. And essentially what they found in dogs is it doesn't work in dogs. It needs to be given as an intravenous continuous infusion. Um, and doesn't work if you just give it under the skin or into the muscle in dogs. So, oh, okay. So an EpiPen would not be any use for, for Wally. So I was starting to get a bit worried. I was thinking, you know, well, you know, Wally's got this condition, the anaphylaxis, if he gets bitten by a bee again, what sort of things can we do? And I actually got in touch with um, – heard, I'd heard about this, uh, this thing that you can get called uh, – well, I think it's like a, a venom desensitization sort of stuff that, that you can do, or I call it venom immunotherapy. I don't know if that's the correct correct word for it, but I got in touch with another friend of the podcast, Dr. Danny Houlihan. Oh, Danny, she's wonderful, she's isn't lovely, she? She's lovely, yeah. So she is a veterinary dermatologist, and yes. I said, Danny, can you help me with this, this desensitization stuff? And she wrote a lovely email back, and I might read it out. It says, yeah, uh, she says, good to hear from you. That's nice. Good to hear from you too, Danny. We'll have to get her back on the podcast. Yes. Her, her talk about um, about skin, itchy skin in yes. dogs and dermatological problems in dogs is, I think that's our second most listened to podcast we've yes. had in the whole thing. Yes. Do you know what our most listened to one is? No, I don't. It was, it was the one you were on last time. Is that right? Yeah, number one. Number one listened to podcast. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. All those. Number 99.95. Go back and listen, listeners. Very, very – it's the first time we had Deb on the, Deb on the episode. We, oh. It was going to be a one or 100, oh. but it was 99.5 because we, we, we thought Robbie should be on 100, didn't we? Yeah, people must have been wanting to listen into episode 100 and they got the <laughs> team B, the B team. Um, I think uh, the popularity of Danny's um, pod – Probably due to the number of people whose pets have skin conditions, isn't it? You oh, know, yeah. and, and people would have found that enormously helpful to have her professional advice. Yeah. So go back and look for that one. I'm not sure what number that episode is, but we had one oh, where we interviewed Danny and it was, it was fantastic. Yes. Really, yeah, there really were lots good. of reader questions or listener questions, I think, weren't there? Yes, yes. So she says, yes, we do perform bee and wasp venom testing. Uh, it sounds like Wally's a good candidate for B venom testing or de- slash desensitization given the previous reactions. The testing procedure is not without risk. So what they do is they get a small little bit of B venom or wasp venom and mm-hmm. they would inject it under the skin on Wally, I think, and see what sort of reaction he has. And obviously there's a risk that he could go into anaphylaxis when mm. they actually do that do that test. So they always she's well prepared for it. They put a catheter in place. They have drugs set up. They're monitoring yep. the whole time. Um, and she says she hasn't had a case of anaphylaxis during testing and has performed over 50 of these tests. Um, 
She then goes on to say that success is a little bit unknown as well, though, because to know if it's successful, you need, need to challenge the dog yes. with with bee venom, and then you potentially challenge them. You might cause anaphylaxis and put yes. them in hospital. Yes. But she uh, quotes that she's had fairly good reaction uh, responses. She had one dog in um, in Sydney that. Uh, used to get severe anaphylaxis and get hospitalized for three weeks whenever they got oh, bitten. Oh, dear. Um, and one year after they'd done the desensitization, uh, he was exposed, got bitten by a bee, and he only got a mild swelling on his paw. Oh, that's which, successful. Yeah, it's very mm. successful. So that, that sounds really promising. It does involve a lot of injections, though. Injections are given under the skin. So these are basically like a vaccine, I suppose, yes. in a way, like a desensitizing injection. They make up special solutions that contain... At the start, minuscule, almost, mm-hmm. almost probably naturopathic amounts of Ooh. bee venom in there. Yeah, that's that's Natru- a hot button. Naturopathic or – no, no, what's the other word? Homeopathic. 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 Sorry, yes, oh, announced. Yes, what a, what a buzzword. Yes. Homeopathic. So barely any bee venom in the, in the first injection and then over a period of uh, weekly for 15 weeks – then monthly, they would increase the amount of bee venom. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, uh, letting sensitising the immune system to that. So, so it is is a long period of injection. So that's a potentially something that that we might be thinking about for a while. And I haven't actually spoken to my brother about it. She has mentioned though that there is there is um, um, you know, there is a possibility of going to some antihistamines. I think yes. we'll put Wally on in the interim before he goes on those um, sensitizing injections. So I, I'm not going to give any dose rates uh, on the podcast, but certainly um, have a chat to your vet about if, if your dog is, is in that category, potentially going on some antihistamines, but also potentially having the, the sensitizing um, injections done yes. at, your, at your local specialist clinic. And check out Danny Houlihan. I think she is... Uh, vet derm clinic so dot com dot au mm. so you can look them up they're in sydney and in melbourne yeah although just confined to sydney at the moment at the moment yeah, yeah well that sounds good doesn't it because um having a proactive treatment plan is probably less stressful it might be time consuming but it's probably a lot stressful than uh, worrying each time you take your pet to the park or having to dash off to the emergency center yeah horrible for him yeah, yeah just just really really terrible or having to ring me every every time you go to the park because he's been bitten again yeah oh, poor wally so Pretty stressful so anyway so hopefully that, that that gives you guys a little bit of information of what happens when um your pet gets stung by a bee um and the the uh, bee or a wasp or an ant or yes. or any of the hymenoptera species <laughs> hymenoptera <laughs> Is that the right word? Yeah, I think it's close. <laughs> it's close. I'll let, I'll let it out if it's wrong. Yeah, Hymenoptera. I'm not sure. Anyway. Very good. All righty. So, look, uh, that, that's, about, that's about it for the episode. Is there anything you wanted to add? Any thoughts today? Um, I just wanted to mention um, we have uh, a friend of April's, our daughter, who lost their pet this week. And I, I just wanted to say, you know, obviously in lockdown and we're sort of watching the world numbers on COVID-19, um, positive people, people who are sick in hospital and, of course, you know, the tragic loss of life. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're very fortunate in Australia that we're under 100 deaths Australia-wide, which is uh, highly commendable. Very lucky. And, um, you know, great that people have taken the lockdown so seriously. But we do know as a result of the lockdown, people are relying so much on the company of their pets and, uh, you know, it's so strongly linked to their well-being and, uh, the, you know, our, us humans and our well-being. And um, so just um, thinking of people who have lost pets at this time and it must be so acutely felt. Uh, I know April's friend's pet had um, a long-term um, illness that they mm. were managing. So when you suddenly remove that um, part of your daily routine... Um, you know, it's 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 very acutely felt. So, just a, a big warm hug, not a socially distant hug. A big warm <laughs> yeah. hug to everyone who's lost a pet mm. at this time. Mm. And, it, um, it, it must be really hard, I think, especially if you're home a lot more with your pet yes. now, and you can't. I, I know with um, um, with with kids when they lose a pet, mm. often going to school the next day is, is perhaps some some of the best therapy for them. 
that their mind is taken off that focus and that sort of thing. But if you, you're stuck at home and you're homeschooling, yes. every day you're missing that, that buddy by your side. Absolutely. And I know April's friend, you know, they'd had the pet before they had their children. So mm. they haven't really known a day of their lives without their dog. So there's uh, undoubtedly people in that position. So. Yeah, so thoughts out to you. Yeah, that's, that's some lovely sentiment there. So... Um, but I guess if, if you guys have, have got any questions, uh, we have, I have got one question that came in from Nicole Peavy um, about uh, nails and brittle nails and what to do with them. We might hold that off until maybe Robbie comes back and I'll chat to, we'll chat to Robbie about that one. So you have to, have to, got that one in the gun for you, Nicole, you have to wait another week. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but while you, while you're waiting the week, Nicole, Get onto Patreon <laughs> and and support us on Patreon, and then we might speed up our report. No, we don't, we won't change that. But get onto Patreon if you like what we do, guys. Um, you want to be like uh, uh, like Suzanne Baker, who just uh, recently supported us. I think we, we run a good podcast for as little as fifty cents a week. You can support us. Uh, go to patreon.com to vets talk pets. Um, we really appreciate, do appreciate the support. Everyone, every little bit helps us, um, helps Robbie to be able to afford to dig the the truck out of his, his driveway that's got bogged today and spread the gravel the gravel all over his uh, all over his driveway of his newly renovated house. So thoughts with you, Robbie. Hope everything's going well, mate. And um, if you have got any questions, uh, find us on the social medias. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Two Vets Talk Pets at gmail.com. Perhaps if you've got a question for Deb, you know, something that you want to know about Deb, you know, uh, yeah, like a like a new principal at our school is asking Q and A. Q and A. What do I do in a laboratory all day? That's what, right. What does a person like me do in a hospital behind the scenes? I'm one of the people who is. Uh, Receiving your pet's bloods behind the scene, monitoring them for all sorts of things. Yeah, or maybe you want to know what qualifications do I need to mm. become um, as well qualified as Debbie's and yeah. as good as Debbie in her job. Or maybe you've got some answers for us as to how to get the smell out of it. Yes, please, please. I bought some charcoal briquettes from uh, Bunnings yesterday, so they're populating the pantry at the moment. Yeah. Well, they seem to be working a little bit, they helping do. out. Lots and they lots do. of deodorizer as well. I'm sure by the time this drops, hopefully the smell will be gone. That'd be good. Anyway, guys, uh, that's it for this week. We'll scratch you later. Signing off. Thanks for listening to Two Vets Talk Pets with Lewis and Robbie. To chat further about this week's episode or ask the guys any questions, search Two Vets Talk Pets on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or send an email to twovetstalkpets at gmail.com. You can find Lewis on Twitter with the handle at vetbehaviorist and more importantly, as the two pet heroes return to their day job of saving animals' lives, be sure to thank them with a five-star review on iTunes. Every time you do, a small, cute animal will receive a cuddle.